Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. Men, when your wife senses that you love anybody else or anything else more than you love her, there's going to be an earthquake in your home. Your wife is not going to put up with it, nor should she put up with it. Anytime something or somebody else replaces the place your wife ought to have in your heart, it's going to cause trouble. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. It's one thing to say that you trust God completely, but demonstrating your faith in action is something entirely different. Sometimes that means waiting on God and resisting the temptation to control your own circumstances. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress talks about the dangers of taking matters into our own hands. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. I want you to think for a moment about something you have been praying for. Try to identify one or two things that you've laid before the Lord, praying and perhaps pleading with Him to provide an answer. Maybe it's a prodigal child who has walked away from their Christian heritage. Perhaps you've been trying to start a family, and your prayers seem to fall on deaf ears. As you listen to my message today, invite God's Spirit to help you gain clarity on those pressing issues. You see, when we're in a predicament and our heart is longing for a solution, sometimes we try to manipulate our way out of it. Remember Abraham and Sarah? Yesterday, I described how they were waiting on God to provide a son. Because God was silent well beyond their childbearing years, the couple concocted a crazy plan. Today, we're going to talk about the dangers of circumventing God's plan as they did. And then, as you grow deeper in your respect for God's mysterious ways, I want you to read the book I've written for you. It's called Walking by Faith. There's an entire chapter devoted to the topic we're addressing today and much more. My book will help you break free of patterns that have kept you paralyzed, and it will help you avoid dangerous choices like the one I'm addressing today. My book, Walking by Faith, is yours when you give a generous gift to support the growing ministry of Pathway to Victory. More details later, but for now, let's pick up our study in the book of Genesis about a colorful season in Abraham's life. I titled today's message, Two's Company, But Three's a Crown. Turn to Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16, as we discover why two's company and three's a crowd. Now, remember where we are in our study of Abraham In Genesis 15, God came to Abraham and calmed down his fears about the future and soothed his regrets about the past by saying, Abraham, don't worry. I'm going to be your shield. I'm going to be your reward. And he took Abraham out that night and showed him the stars of the sky. And he said, so shall your descendants be. And that great verse, Genesis 15, 6, and Abraham believed what God said, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And then 
God ratified that covenant by that strange ceremony of dividing the animal pieces. When God told Abraham to cut the animal pieces in two, he put Abraham to sleep and God himself walked through those animal pieces carrying the torch, signifying that God alone was responsible for this unconditional covenant God made with Abraham. It didn't depend upon Abraham. It didn't depend upon anybody. It depended upon the faithfulness of God. Now, that should have been enough, but it wasn't. Look at chapter 16, verse 1. We come to Abraham's problem. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. Infertility is a common problem, and it's a painful problem to one out of 12 couples in our society. My daughter, Julia, who's a licensed professional counselor, has written a book on infertility called Pray Big Things, talking with couples about how to handle emotionally and physically the problem of infertility. But it's not only a physical and emotional problem, it can be a spiritual problem. It causes people to lose trust in the trustworthiness of God, especially when they feel like they've been given a promise by God. That was the situation with Sarah and Abraham. The reason their infertility was so painful was it seemed to contradict what God had said to them. God had promised to make them parents of a great nation, and yet, He made that promise when Abraham was 60. By the time we get to Genesis 16, Abraham is 85 years of age. And there is no answer to the promise. Whenever our current situation is at odds with God's promise, it causes a crisis of faith. And it tempts us to run ahead of God. Whenever our life situation doesn't line up with what we believe is God's promise, there is a crisis of faith that tempts us to run ahead of God. Abraham was facing a similar crisis of faith. You know, you would have thought Abraham would have learned his lesson by now, uh, the dangers of running ahead of God. But they plowed ahead. Look at Sarah's proposal So Sarah said to Abram, we've been waiting here for 25 years for a child. It's not working. Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarai. Now listen, Sarah was a woman of faith. 1 Peter 3, 5 says she was a woman of faith. But people of faith can have lapses of faith. And that was true for Sarah. She basically said, we can't depend upon God to do what he promised. We need to help her out. So here's a plan. Now you have to read this and think, Sarah, what is wrong with you that you would come up with an idea to tell your husband to have sex with another woman? That's unbelievable. Have you been reading too many romance novels or visiting internet sites you shouldn't go to? Where would you come up with such an immoral idea? Well, Actually, it was the law of the day. Law number 146 of Hammurabi's code that Abraham had followed and the people in Mesopotamia followed said, if a man has a barren wife, he can have sex with somebody else and the child born can be the heir of that man. It was perfectly legal in man's eyes, but it was immoral in God's eyes. 
Listen, God's plan has always been the same for marriage since the beginning, Genesis 2. A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That is always God's plan. One man with one woman in a lifetime commitment. And so what she was proposing was totally against God's law. So how did Abraham respond to Sarah's proposal? It says, Abraham listened to the voice of his wife. F.B. Meyer, in his biography of Abraham, says, it's always hard to resist temptation when it appeals to natural instinct or to distrusting fear. Sarah's proposal did both. It appealed to Abraham's carnal instinct, but also to his fear that God couldn't keep his promise. But there's another reason this temptation was especially potent, It came from Abraham's wife. Ladies, don't ever underestimate the influence you have over your husbands. Even when they're buried in a newspaper or in a football game on television and you're trying to talk to them and all they can do is grunt, don't forget, they really are listening. You may not think they are. They're listening to you. You have great influence over them for good or for bad. Adam listened to the voice of his wife Eve, and the whole race was plunged into destruction. Sarah influenced her husband. He listened, and this is a catastrophe of all catastrophes, as we'll see in a moment. Now, I could make the application, men don't listen to your wives, but I value my life too much to come up with that application. And most importantly, it would be the wrong application. Because there are times we better listen to our wives. Pontius Pilate should have listened to his wife about getting involved with the Jesus trial. It's not, don't listen to your wife. We ought to listen to our wives. We ought to listen to our husbands. But we ought to weigh what they say against the truth of God's word. Godly people can say ungodly things. And Jesus experienced that when Peter said, oh, don't go to the cross, Lord. And the Lord said to him, get thee behind me, Satan. Unfortunately, Abraham did not weigh the advice that Sarah gave to him, and he gave into it. Verse 3 says, after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, that means he was 85, Abram's wife, Sarah, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as his wife. He went into Hagar, and she conceived. I'm sure when he got the news that Hagar was pregnant, he probably was tempted to say, isn't God good? Okay, this wasn't his perfect will, but it's his permissive will, and he allowed this to happen. Praise be to God. No, it was just the beginning of a tragic end. Look at Hagar's provocation. Verse 4. And when she, Hagar, saw that she had conceived, her mistress, that is Sarai, was despised in her sight. She had been a slave. She had been elevated to Abraham's wife, the same level. And now she was really above Sarah because she was able to do what Sarah couldn't do. And she began to despise Sarah. She started prancing around the tent Look at me, look at me, look at what I have. I have the child you could not give to your husband. You know, there's an interesting proverb I came across, Proverbs 30, verses 21 to 23. Men, look at this especially. 
Under three things, the earth quakes, and under four, it cannot bear up. Number one, under a slave when he becomes king. Secondly, a fool when he's satisfied with food. Third, an unloved woman when she gets a husband. And the fourth thing that will cause an earthquake is a maidservant when she supplants her mistress. In other words, men, when your wife senses that you love anybody else or anything else more than you love her, there's going to be an earthquake in your home. Your wife is not going to put up with it, nor should she put up with it. Doesn't matter whether it's another woman, a child, a hobby, anytime something or somebody else replaces the place your wife ought to have in your heart, it's going to cause trouble. And that's exactly what happened here. Look at verse five. Sarah said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be upon you. I gave my maid into your arms, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. Translation, Abraham, I can't believe you did such a thing. Look at what has happened. Oh, God's gonna get you, Abraham. <laughs> and Abraham starts to say, but Sarah, you were the one. And then he thought better of it. He thought better or pointed out she's the one who came up with this idea. So what does he do? What most men do, he became passive. But Abraham said to Sarai, behold, your maid is in your power. Do to her whatever you want to do. In other words, I'm tired of all this trouble and turmoil. I'm just going to let you have your way. Do with her what you want to do. That is not the right response. What he should have said as the spiritual leader of the house is, Sarah, you're right. I was wrong. You were wrong. We were wrong. Let's go to the altar and kneel before God and confess our mistake and ask God to redeem the situation. But he didn't do it. He just told Sarah to do what she wanted to, to keep peace in the tent. So Sarah, verse 6, treated Hagar harsh, harshly, and she fled from her presence as act two on this drama comes to a close, we saw you see Sarah feeling betrayed, Hagar being mistreated, and Abraham absolutely miserable. Remember, running ahead of God produces bad decisions and painful consequences. Fortunately, we serve a God who is able to work together for good all things, including our bad decisions. Let's see how he does that. Beginning in verse seven, the angel's promise. Now the angel of the Lord found Hagar by a spring of water. Remember, she's pregnant. She's out in the wilderness by the spring on the way to Shur. And he says, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from? And where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress. Many people believe this angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, is a reference to Jesus Christ. Many times, the angel of the Lord is what we call a pre-incarnate uh, appearance of Jesus, Jesus before Bethlehem. If that's the case here, the first person Jesus appears to on earth is an unwed single mother who is a foreigner, that would make sense that Jesus would choose an outcast to make his first appearance to. It's not that he doesn't know where she's been. He wants her to admit that she's left her mistress. And so the angel gives her a command and a promise. The command is, Hagar, 
I want you to go back to Sarah and submit yourself to her authority. And then he gives her this promise. The angel says, I will give you a son who will also be the father of a great nation. As we'll see next time, that son, Ishmael, meaning God hears, is the father of the Arab nations today. There's not an Arab in the world who doesn't trace his ancestry to Ishmael. Even though Abraham did have a son, Ishmael, and blessed him, the covenant blessing, Genesis 17, 21 says, comes through Isaac, the son yet to be born, not through Ishmael. Look at verse 15. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Now Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. You know, we talk about this experience. The whole basis of the conflict today between Israel and the Arab nations can be traced back to one couple that made a bad decision and ran ahead of God. Isn't that amazing? One couple 4,000 years ago made a bad decision, and that decision has had repercussions, worldwide repercussions for thousands of years and continues to to this very day. But beyond explaining the conflict between Israel and the Arab nations, this story illustrates three timeless principles I want to share with you in closing today to help you avoid the temptation to run ahead of God. Principle number one is this. Artificial deadlines produce unnecessary stress. Artificial deadlines produce unnecessary stress. Abraham and Sarah said, by 85, we ought to have had children. That was an artificial deadline. God never told them when the baby was coming. He said, the baby's coming. But they set this deadline, artificial. Now we've passed the deadline. We better take matters into our own hands. Don't do that. Artificial deadlines produce unnecessary stress. I'm always reminded of something that happened to me more than 35 years ago on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, I was in the coffee shop of the Houston Intercontinental Airport. My flight had been delayed, and so I took out my yellow tablet, and I spent several hours sketching out what I believed were God's goals and plans for my life. And I had five specific goals, and I actually attached a date, a year, to accomplish each of those goals by I felt like it was in keeping with God's plan for my life. When I got back to Dallas, I plunged ahead in trying to achieve those five goals and by the date that I had selected. You know, all that did was it caused stress in our marriage. It caused stress in my work. It caused stress in every area of my life. And then a series of unrelated events came to pass that made me have to put aside my list and concentrate on other things for a while. It was decades before I picked up that list again. And after several decades, you know what I discovered? Every one of those goals had been accomplished, but not by the date I had set. It was an artificial deadline. The point I'm making to you is, don't give up your God-given goals. Don't do that, but give up your manufactured deadlines. It'll make life a lot more pleasant for you if you do. Second principle, God sees our situation 
and he hears our prayers. You know what the most significant verse in this old chapter is? It's verse 13, when Hagar says to the angel, you are a God who sees. This Egyptian slave girl knew more about God than Abraham did. She said, God, you see my situation. You know where I am. The same is true for you. When you think God has not kept his promise to you, when you're frustrated about your lack of progress, when you feel like you've been abandoned by God, remember, God knows exactly where you are. He knows your situation, and he will answer in his way and his time. And that leads to the third principle. Waiting on God produces spiritual maturity. Waiting on God produces spiritual maturity. There is a difference between belief and trust. You can believe in an instant, like Abraham did. He believed God's promise and his faith was counted as righteousness. That was instantaneous. But there's a difference between belief and trust. Trust doesn't happen in a moment. It's developed over many, many years. Psalm 37 verse 5 says, commit your way to the Lord and trust also in him and he will do it. God wants to develop trust in your heart. And that only happens over a period of time. Now listen to this. You know how I would have entered the story if I were writing it? I would have said, Hagar gave birth to Ishmael. And lo and behold, the next month, Sarah discovered she was pregnant too. And nine months later, she gave birth. And they all lived under the same tent together forever and ever happily. That's not how the story ends. Yes, Ishmael was born when Abraham was 86, but Sarah wasn't pregnant. She didn't get pregnant the next year, the next year, the next year. After a decade, she was still waiting. It was 14 years after Ishmael was born that the promise was finally fulfilled. Abraham and Sarah had to wait, but never forget this. Waiting time isn't wasted time. God uses waiting time to prepare us for the future. And he was using those 14 years to develop Abraham's trust so that Abraham could respond to the greatest test he would ever face in his life in Genesis chapter 22, the offering of Isaac as a sacrifice. God's doing something in your life as well. Remember, God is much more interested and what happens in you than what happens to you. There's not one circumstance happening to you right now that God couldn't change in an instant if he wanted to. No, he's interested in what's happening in you. Waiting time isn't wasted time. Isn't that what Isaiah the prophet said? Those who wait upon the Lord shall gain new strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not get tired. They shall walk and not become weary. It wasn't long ago when I received a stirring message from one of your fellow listeners on Pathway to Victory. As we close today's message, I want to share her comments with you because her story gives a beautiful illustration of what it means to walk with God. Cindy told me, Pastor, I was saved as a young girl, but strayed for years. I renewed my faith four years ago. 
I read your books and watch your TV program every single day. Your messages help me so much. And I want my friends and family to have the same peace and assurance that only comes from faith in Christ. Thank you, Dr. Jeffress. I know I can count on you to provide me with the tools I need, and I'm using them to help my friends and family as well. Well, thank you, Cindy, for your encouraging comments. We love hearing that you have re-engaged your walk with God. And we're especially pleased to know that you're helping others stay connected with Him as well. And friends, this is what Pathway to Victory is all about. When people apply the biblical truth we present on this program, there's a ripple effect. Men and women who are truly walking with God are contagious in their enthusiasm for Him. And so, when you give generously to Pathway to Victory, you can be sure that the impact of your gift goes far beyond your own household. Remember, when you give generously today, I'm going to send you my brand new book for this teaching series. It's called Walking by Faith. We prepared a variety of other resources for you as well. Now here's David to tell you more. Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. A copy of the brand new book by Dr. Jeffress, Walking by Faith, is yours today when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. Call 866-999-2965 or make your request online at ptv.org. And when you give $75 or more, you'll also receive the complete collection of audio and video discs for this month's teaching series, Walking by Faith, along with the corresponding study guide. One more time, our phone number 866-999-2965 or go to ptv.org. You could also write to us, send your request to P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. Again, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. Sometimes the Bible uses running as a metaphor for the Christian life. But more often, the Christian life is compared to walking with God. Discover what it looks like to walk with your God. Friday on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.